What's up, folks? This is D. David welcoming you to another experience of Put It in a Book podcast, where I'd like to read the forwards and introductions of some of the most important books in our country today. And I do this in hope that I can whet your appetite and encourage you to go out and read these books so that you can go out and increase your knowledge to inform your wisdom. The title of today's book is How the Poor Can Save Capitalism. It is written by John Hope Bryant. John Hope Bryant is a financial literacy entrepreneur and he's a businessman. He is also the founder and CEO of his own nonprofit called Operation Hope. And he is, well, he's no longer because the president is no longer in office. He was on the President's Advisory Council on Financial Capabilities. Very impressive. How the Poor Can Save Capitalism. <laughs> That's a crazy sounding title, right? The Poor Saving Capitalism. I mean, most capitalists would say capitalists doesn't need saving, especially not by the poor. Most of them would say the poor are exactly where we want them to be. But in this book, Bryant's ideas reminds us of the fundamental ideology behind a successful U.S. economy, which is a sustainable, growing middle class. Don't you get tired of hearing folks complain about what's wrong with this or what's wrong with that? Don't you want to say, yo, so what are you going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? Well, here, Bryant lays out a strategy, a step-by-step strategy that could truly result in what should be an American dream, right? A true capitalist society, you know, a fair and free market where everyone at all levels will benefit from this capitalist society. Today, capitalism is a bad word, right? (laughs) That's only because it's not true capitalism. Here in this country, it's a system strategically set up to benefit only the wealthy, strategically. When I say that, these two thoughts come to mind. Abraham Lincoln, right before his assassination, set up a bank for the newly emancipated slaves. These slaves weren't keen on financial ideology or economic stability, so they needed help. Well, Abe Lincoln set up a bank called the Freedmen's Bank, and this bank was to help those newly freed slaves. One month after he signed it into law, Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. Martin Luther King One of his last speeches before his assassination was all about the poor, all about how the government and the people had an obligation to reach out and help the poor. As a matter of fact, right before his assassination, he was working on another march, a march that he called the Poor People's March. During his preparation for that march, he was assassinated. Coincidence, you think? I don't think so. With that, we will get into the forward for our book, How the Poor Can Save Capitalism, by John Hope Bryant. 
The foreword was written by former U.S. Ambassador Andrew Young. John Hope Bryant has made a wonderful, original, and visionary contribution for all of those who want to see economic inequality shrink in their lifetime. Business executives, take note and follow the steps in this book. Every high school senior and college freshman should read this book. And every teacher who's teaching economics or religion also must read this book. John Bryant has condensed more information and experience in a couple of hundred pages than most any book I've recently read. What he says is not new, but it's presented in a fashion that is not primarily academic or intellectual. Nor is it simply a collection of business models and statistics. It really is quite prophetic. This book is in the tradition of John Maynard Kennis's The Economic Consequences of the Peace, written in 1919 and ignored until the Marshall Plan was proposed in 1947. It is in the tradition of University of Michigan professor C.K. Prohalid, who wrote about the fortune at the bottom of the pyramid. It is in the tradition of Muhammad Yanis, the poor people banker, and the Grameen Bank experience in Bangladesh. And John reminds us most of all that America is a summary of all of these economic thinkers as well as the vision of Isaiah springing with hope eternal from the ashes of a destroyed Jerusalem. John Bryant used to worry me to death, and then suddenly I realized it was not worry, it was a warning. He was calling me to life, and he was calling me to realize that one cannot afford to slow down or be tired even after 80 years of struggle. I realized that there is too much to do. There is an urgency in today's economy and on today's planet that can only be answered with the energy of vitality inherent in youth and the experience and wisdom inherent in old age combining to create a courageous new world order. As mayor of Atlanta, I learned that, as far as cities are concerned, national economies are mostly irrelevant. To survive, cities must join together in a global economy, and technology, which transcends borders, is far more powerful than any laws created by council, legislators, or Congress. John Bryant is a man born into the world of the local streets and alleys of Watts and Atlanta, who now walks into parlors with presidents and princes and probably talks to a greater variety of important people in a week than most CEOs do in a year. That's because he talks to important people not only in the suites, but also in the streets. And his ideas 
have come not through our universities or inherent ideas of the European free market, but from the strivings and struggles of small business and church neighborhoods like the one he grew up in. I'm fascinated by the impact that John's experience as a soul-trained teenage dancer had on his life. If there is one thing that inspires self-esteem, confidence, and rhythm, it's dancing. It's not only John's dancing on Soul Train, but also a young David dancing around the Ark of the Covenant and Nelson Mandela toy-toying his way to freedom in South Africa. Life is a dance. And when we are filled with rhythm and vitality, we constantly exude hope and optimism, making all things possible. There is no such thing as failure. One must follow Frank Sinatra's example and pick ourselves up and get back in the race because that's life. That makes John an artist as well as a businessman. But he is a businessman who is not interested in generating personal wealth, but in helping to awaken the vitality and idealism of the world's poor, to integrate them and their entrepreneurial energy along with their consumer power. John's hope is to revitalize the global economy of the 21st century. There is more wealth in today's world than has ever existed in history. There is a greater capacity for creation of and access to technology than ever before. Technology ranging from satellites orbiting the earth to geological soundings in the depths of the sea. Technology that proves that almost everything and anything is possible. At the same time, there is also a greater understanding of the world's needs than ever before. We can predict droughts and we can analyze the failure of the Earth's surface to regenerate its topsoil, as Howard Buffett reminds us in his book, 40 Chances. The energy and vitality that John Bryant brings to life, the whirling dervish of energy and aggressiveness, is not that of a folk seeker, but of a watchman who sees the distant dangers of chaos resulting from massive numbers of unemployed youth in our central cities and in the alleys of Delhi, and in the rural storms emerging among Chinese poor. He is a watchman who sees the terrorism that plagues the Middle East and the restlessness among the masses in Brazil, South Africa, Nigeria, and Russia. He has experienced firsthand the statistics that Jim Clifford records in his prophetic book, The Coming Jobs War, which says that a planet of 7 billion people cannot be sustained with only 1.2 billion jobs, that the very survival of humanity, rich and poor alike, depends on finding ways to mobilize, innovate, generate another 1 billion or 2 billion jobs. Jobs cannot be created by wars or by governments. Jobs must somehow evolve through the interaction of vision, need, energy, and even a little greed. But greed alone produces the wealth 
of the rich young ruler who, after gathering his riches into bonds, was confronted by the reality that, This night thy soul is required of thee. John Bryant is pointing to a choice between judgment and jubilee. And I think Dr. King would be proud of his efforts to inspire us to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, heal the sick, set at liberty those who are oppressed, and, in the process, create and enjoy the abundant life that the Bible promises for all of God's children. Again, that was Andrew Young. So, I think you will enjoy this book immensely. I think this book will offer great knowledge, but not only great knowledge, it'll give us, as I said before, a step-by-step process in which uh, we can move forward from the trying times in which we are involved in right now. I want to thank you again for listening to Put It in a Book. And as always, I'll end with Employ your time in improving yourself by other men's writings so that you shall gain easily what others have labored hard for. Thank you. Have a great week. Thank you.